today we're continuing our series in the book of Exodus where we are uh, just asking the question how God shapes a person for impact and we've been saying uh, through this series that often we look at our heroes and we see them as kind of a finished product they're born ready-made and when we do that we miss out on uh, the the experiences that God uses to to shape a person into uh, the roles that they would later fulfill. So we're going back to see Moses before the pharaohs, pharaohs showdown, uh, before all of the dramatic encounters that we, uh, are, he is famous for, and we're trying to understand how God might be seeking to work in our lives today uh, as he is preparing us for what comes next and what he might be doing uh, in us. Now, today we're, t- we're watching uh, Moses as he's taking his first steps uh, into the battle and all that uh, is about to come next and, and seeing in particular that obedience comes before accomplishment. Now, when you hear the word battle, we've been singing some songs about the battle. I'm not sure what comes to mind for you. What is, what is the spiritual battle that you're facing? What does that look like? Uh, for a man by the name of Eugene Bozzi, uh, it was pretty clear to him what the battle uh, that he had uh, in store for him that day. Uh, his children were playing outside in their suburban Florida home, and they came running in terrified and very excited. Uh, they had been uh, out playing, and a rather large alligator made its way right up to Uh, the side of their house. And obviously, kids were terrified. The dad realizes there's no way an alligator is going to get that close to a home unless he's hungry. So he has got to be dealt with. And I don't know what you would do. I think I would probably have called animal control, locked down the house, and just stay inside until it was all done. Um, uh, Eugene Bozzi, former military, he's a game for action. He got out his uh, garbage bin, you know, one of those large ones on the wheel with the wheels on them. Um, He put it on its side with the lid up like this and starts approaching the alligator and just keeps shoving it towards him and makes it look like, you know, there's some large animal with a big mouth coming at the alligator. Well, he keeps pressing forward. Finally, the alligator's head gets inside of the, ga- the, the garbage can. At that point, he brings down the lid of the garbage pan over the top. Alligator freaks out, and then he does this maneuver where he pulls up the entire thing. Alligator still inside, closes the lid down over top of him, and wheels it out to a nearby marsh where he releases the alligator unharmed. I mean, it was... It was a spectacular, you can watch this. He's, for his efforts, he had about 40 neighbors who had gathered around or watching. Like, he's his kid's hero. Got him about 7 million hits on YouTube. Like, this guy is, you know, he is ready for battle. And you get some sense of, you know, the, the different things that we face in life. Most of you, uh, we don't get a lot of alligators in Canada. I mean, I guess it could happen. Somebody's pet alligator might escape. Uh, But all of us are facing various spiritual battles that are just as scary and can feel just as overwhelming. Uh, Maybe the battle for you is for your marriage. 
Maybe the battle is, is just some overwhelming challenges you're facing, you're seeing in your kids, uh, your desire for them to, uh, to really know the hope of Christ and to follow him. Uh, maybe, maybe the battle for you is, uh, is, is in your home. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's a ministry that God has called you to. Um, maybe it's a, a temptation that you're f- facing. And uh, just dealing with that just feels like a daily grind. And when we're not conscious of the battle, when we're just kind of wandering in and there's alligators at our feet and we're not really thinking about it, that's when we get uh, injured. That's when uh, we can find ourselves uh, either giving up or uh, facing defeat in that battle. And so we're talking about that battle today. We're getting some help and some principles for it in God's word. So I want to ask you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 4, and I'm going to read from 18 to 31, and I'm going to just walk you through that passage this morning. Uh, on the, there's a black church Bible on the rack in the seat, uh, one of the seats in front of you, and uh, that's on page 44. Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 to 31. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he'd seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is the word of God. Now, the first principle is going to be an encouragement to any of you who are afraid of alligators, and because it, it just talking about God's, insur- God's assurance. Uh, the message is that the battle often starts with our insecurity and God's reassurance. Uh, this is a, a little surprising. If you haven't, haven't been tracking with us, we're seeing in this passage just how, how much fear and insecurity Moses has had to overcome. And that's unusual because we usually associate him with this great giant of the faith. And yet we see that he got there through God's calm, patient reassurance in his life. So the battle often starts with our insecurity and God's reassurance. 
Last time, if you were with us, we saw that Moses had struggled with what God had call him, was calling him to do. He just kept giving God excuse after excuse after excuse of why he, he couldn't and he wasn't really qualified and it wouldn't be a good idea. And God patiently dealt with those excuses. Finally, when God said that his brother Aaron could do the talking, Moses agreed. And here in this passage is where he's setting out. Uh, he's going to go from Midian to Egypt and make this transition. Moses has left the burning bush, and he has his commission from God. But in verse 18, it says this. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. I'd like you to notice, first of all, the humility of Moses. Some, uh, he'd just been given a commission of God. God has told him what to do. So it's not like he needs to ask his father-in-law's permission, but he still seeks his blessing. Uh, he, he recognizes that he has spent the last four decades receiving the hospitality of uh, this man, and he decides to honor him. And it's just worth just noticing in passing, because sometimes people's faith in God can make them independent and insensitive. Have you ever noticed that? We think, well, God told me, therefore, I don't need to worry about any of the other people in my life. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And Moses says, that's not exactly how it works, that we can still honor those people who are in authority over us, even as we are obeying uh, the Lord and his commission for our lives. Now, when we get into the, the actual conversation with his father-in-law, you can see the doubts that Moses is still struggling with. He, he, he talks about uh, his commissioning in a sense, but he's like, I'm just going to go back to Egypt and check on my brothers, see how they're doing, no big deal. And again, if you've heard the early part of the chapter and what actually had gone down, you're thinking, Moses, like, Tell your father-in-law about the burning bush. Tell him about that angel who spoke to you out of the fire. And what are you saying? You're just going to go check on your brothers. Like, you're, you've been commissioned to deliver them from Egypt, to, to rescue them out of slavery. That's, that's, that's unusual that he kind of holds all of that back, right? I suspect that most of you who have father-in-laws can understand the conversation that's going on here. Nobody wants to tell their father-in-law that uh, they've got a half-baked plan to take their daughter and grandchildren off to stage a political revolt. Like, that, just doesn't, uh, that just doesn't feel right, right? Uh, we've, we've got this situation where Moses still isn't sure if he even believes what happened, let alone being able to convince his father-in-law that um, there was, well, God, uh, he actually appeared to me out of a fire, and he asked me to take um, your daughter and your grandchildren, and I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take on the dictator of the world superpower and uh, deliver you know, thousands of people out of slavery. That's kind of, that's kind of my plan. What do you think? Like, there's no way you, you phrase that. That just doesn't feel like a career move, particularly when the man's grandkids are on the line. And so Moses is, is, is kind of approaching this, this mission that he's gotten from God, still full of insecurity and fear and doubts. 
And you may be feeling that same thing in some of the battles that you're facing. Some of the, it could be an area of obedience, a step that God is asking you to take in your life with him. And maybe you have fear and doubt that you can actually do it. I don't know if, I'm, maybe I'm going to fall on my face. Maybe I'm just going to fail. And, and so you feel that sense of insecurity. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, if I've got that, I don't know what, how God thinks about that and how God views me like, like that. Watch how God deals with Moses as he has just given this really lame line to his father-in-law and hasn't come forward confidently in, in declaring his mission. L listen to what he says. He, you, you get to this, uh, uh, first of all, in, in verse 18, he, he, after having explained everything to his father-in-law, Jethro just says, go in peace. Moses has his blessing. There's no, there's no uh, negotiation or debate. Uh, he, he has his father-in-law's his father uh, support. Then in verse 19, God reassures him that the people in Egypt who had been seeking to kill him, they're now dead. And, and, and he just is, he, he didn't have to tell him that. He's told him that, you know, this is God speaking. You don't need to spell out that uh, you're going to be safe. It's going to be okay. But he just gives him this tender word of reassurance, recognizing here's a man who's still dealing with, with doubt and in insecurity. Finally, in verse 20, after setting his wife and sons on a donkey, it says, Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Now, the staff... Like we don't, maybe if you go hiking, you, you have a walking stick, but we don't typically use staffs the way that they used staffs. But in the ancient world, your staff was both a weapon and your ID. It was like carrying a gun and a driver's license all in one. And so here, Moses is taking the staff, but notice what it says. It's not just Moses' staff anymore. He says it's the staff of God. This is uh, assurance that he now has God's power on his side. It is his assurance that he belongs to the Lord. And, and it is intended to give him confidence in the mission that God has given him. Now, in the New Testament, we, we, we understand that that kind of power and that kind of reassurance is given to believers through the Holy Spirit. That's why it says, for instance, in Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's that reassurance that God gives to us internally through his spirit. Or 2 Timothy 1, 7 says that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so the encouragement is God still mercifully deals with our fears and insecurities. He provides what we need for us to confidently go and deal with things that, frankly, we wouldn't otherwise have the confidence to deal with. And uh, he, he, he does that. He does that through his spirit. He does that through his word. He does that through other people in fellowship. But we, we meet in scripture a God who is gentle with our fears and insecurities and provides the reassurance that we need as we're heading into the battle, dealing with the challenges that come. So the battle often starts with our insecurity and with God's reassurance. 
but next we learn that the battle is harder than we thought, but never out of God's control. We're tempted to think, if I've got the staff of God, if I've got his power and reassurance, that means that the battle will be easy. And unfortunately, that isn't the calculation of scripture. That often uh, the challenges are still there and often they're bigger than we would have guessed. The battle is harder than we thought, but just the same, it's never out of God's control. He's still in charge. He is still uh, working everything out according to uh, his plan. Now, verse 21 introduces one of the most difficult concepts in all of Scripture. Uh, this is a tough passage. The whole, they're, they're, we're not going to be, we're, we're not done with it. There's all kinds of uh, uh, landmines in this passage, and this is one of them. But I'm just going to read for you uh, what God tells Moses. He says, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Immediately, there are tons of questions that come to mind. Uh, First question I'm thinking is, why on earth, if God has all this power, why would he make make it harder instead of easier? What's going on there? God seems determined not to make it easy, but to actually make it more difficult. And uh, he's, he's doing that to demonstrate to both the Israelites and the Egyptians his power and his commitment to defend his people and to rescue them from oppression. But the path is going to be hard. The, the road is going to be difficult. It'll be an opportunity for God's power to be demonstrated. And in fact, the result of that will will be not only will the Israelites be delivered, but many of the Egyptians will see the power of God demonstrated through this process and be brought to faith in, in that God and actually join the Israelites heading into the promised land. So it, it isn't without purpose. It isn't without good effect, but... The road is is difficult, not easy. Now, once we accept that God may have a good purpose in hardening Pharaoh's heart, the next question we're asking is, why on earth would God do something that seems so unfair? And I would suggest that any time you find yourself reading scripture and beginning to uh, judge God on the basis of your moral standards and, and taking out your scorecard and thinking, I'm not sure, God, whether you're quite measuring up to the way I think it should be done, that's probably one of those opportunities for us to check the condition of our heart and to say, if God is God and I'm not, there are probably some things about how God operates that I don't understand, and I need to accept that God is good, and God has his purposes, and I need to submit to them. And so I think that's our starting point for something like this. We understand that he has a good purpose. We understand there are things that we don't understand, but let's just remember what's happening here. Remember who we're talking about. So Pharaoh is ruthlessly oppressing and enslaving an entire nation. Uh, His predecessor, the previous pharaoh, had ordered the genocide of all the the Jewish baby boys, and presumably many of the Egyptians followed his instructions and actually helped carry out uh, that, uh, that genocide. 
So we're not dealing with someone who, oh, I, I just love the Israelites. I want to protect them. I, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to free them, but God just hardened my heart, and I, I just couldn't, couldn't do it. That's not the, the, the kind of situation that we're dealing with here. Here we're talking about someone like uh, Adolf Hitler or Pol Pot. It, it is a, a, a cruel and merciless dictator who is, uh, at some points in Exodus, it describes him, he himself hardening his heart. And in other points in scripture, um, many points in the book of Exodus, describing God hardening his heart. And one of the one one of the the uh, the things that we need to be aware of is that one of this one of sin's most dangerous consequences is that God gives us over to it. You uh, you repeatedly ignore God and and resist Him in your life, and He at a certain point gives you over to that sin, and it it gains a greater control and power in your life than you would have otherwise hoped for. And, and so uh, here, it's, it's a warning of sin's addiction, of God's giving people over to their sin, and of him having the power to harden a person's heart and do so at will. But let's not try to ask all of the questions uh, that we might have. This, is, this verse was not given to f- answer all of the f- philosophical questions that we might have about the sovereignty of God. It was given as a reassurance and, uh, uh, for, for Moses and to help him understand what was going to take place. It was, it, it was trying to convince him that even though things are going to get bad, things are going to get difficult. Even though you've got the staff of God in your hand, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But remember, even when things are getting hard, getting difficult, I'm in complete control. I'll say how many plagues it's going to take. I'll say when Pharaoh says no and when he says yes, I am going to control this process and I will see to ensure its victory. Now, this is given to Moses as reassurance, and it has reassured believers uh, all throughout history. This, is, this truth has given me reassurance more times than I can count. It's the reassurance that there, there is, there is no, no time and point in your life where your life is in the hands of an evil government. There is no point in your life where your life is in the hands of a, uh, of, a, of a cruel employer or a stubborn spouse. Ultimately, God is in control. doesn't matter who the person is, what the authority is. God is ultimately con- in control, and it is him to whom we answer. He is the one who will accomplish his good purposes. As a church planter, this was this was a, a truth that I clung to almost throughout my uh, the, 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 uh, my time church planting. There were many times where I thought, if this mission hinges on my neighbors just being open and just just wanting to 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 seek Jesus and and wanting to trust Him, and like if it just hinges on them and not on God, I might as well go home. Like it just felt impossible. I just thought this will never happen. 
But if this ultimately depends on God, and then I can trust that he has a good purpose in calling me to this. He will accomplish what he has set out to do, and I need to look to him, not to my circumstances, for uh, my hope and for my leading. Now, what God says next is critical to understanding the book of Exodus and really the the entire storyline of the Bible. In verse 22, God says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Now, in the ancient world and in many cultures today, the firstborn son gets certain privileges and responsibilities. Uh, They have a favored inheritance. Uh, The firstborn son uh, carries the family name. The firstborn son uh, carries, it will often represent the family and will eventually uh, take on leadership in that respect. But what God is saying in referring to the entire people of God in this sense as his firstborn son is that all of his children have that special favored position. They are going to receive a special inheritance and they bear special uh, responsibility to carry his name and to uh, represent him. Uh, That's why Galatians 3.26 says in the New Testament, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Ever read that and think, I'm a woman. I'm not a son of God, surely. So this is not sexist language in the Bible. This is actually God deliberately using the gender imbalance of the day to to speak directly to uh, the fact that doesn't matter whether you are a man, woman, or a child, you are equal. Rep, you you equally receive the inheritance that God has for His people. In in when this was written in the in first century Rome, this letter to the Galatians was written in first century Rome. If you weren't a son, you didn't receive an inheritance. But. God in calling, calling, uh, saying in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, saying you all receive that inheritance in Christ. Uh, You all can look forward to this uh, great uh, reminder that we have in him. But to say that we have an inheritance doesn't, again, mean that that will come easily. There is a battle involved. Exodus reminds us of that battle, and it's a battle that was promised all the way back in the opening chapters of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when the serpent leads Adam and Eve into sin, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's, it's saying that the woman's offspring will battle the serpent's offspring. It's a battle between good and evil, a battle between those who follow the Lord and those who follow the serpent. And uh, while that, that battle reaches its climax on the cross as God's son uh, is uh, battling uh, Satan and the plot that he has uh, drawn others into, that's where it re- reaches the, cl- the, the climax Here in the book of Exodus, you have a cruel dictator whose 
whose very symbol, both on his crown and on his staff, is a snake, and he is seeking to destroy and enslave God's people. It is that very same battle taking place. And God vows, I'm going to intervene, I'm going to ensure victory. Speaking of his power. And so when you read Exodus, you're, you're seeing that battle between uh, the serpent, uh, the, the, the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman taking place. Now, when you read Exodus, you're tempted to be distracted by the plagues and the signs. You're, you're tempted to, to think of the, uh, the commandments and the parting of the Red Sea. But at its heart, the book of Exodus is a love story of uh, a, a father for his children. It's, it's him, not with a trash can and, and an alligator, but it is God as father seeking to care for and to rescue his, his children none the same. Now, when you hear this language of father and son, there, there's some people that may struggle with that. I knew someone who, uh, she said, I, I can pray to Jesus. I just always struggle calling God Father. And, and she just shared with me, I, my father, uh, he abused me, he ne- neglected me, and eventually he abandoned me. And the idea of thinking of God in those terms as Father, it just, I, I can't do that. I, I just, I struggle um, really being able to think of that image is applied to him. And, and the reminder here of scripture is like that, that's exactly one of the reasons why God is called uh, father in scripture, because he's the father that we desperately need. The father that we wanted, the father that uh, God has for us. In, in scripture, in Psalm 68.5, he's called the father of the fatherless. And the message of Exodus is he's the father who stands up for his children. He's the father who hears their cry. He's the one who comes to their defense. He's the father who never leaves you, never forsakes you. And so this one who calls himself father welcomes us and calls us as his children and uh, seeks to lead us to lead us to himself. Now, we've said the battle often starts with our own insecurity and God's reassurance. Then we've said that the the battle is often harder than we thought, but never out of God's control. Finally, we learn that the battle is won through our faith, not our talents. God is not the kind of father who asks us to cheat on the test so that we'll just get the, the, the top mark. He cares about our character. He cares about how we get there. He cares to shape us into the people that we would become. He's not just interested in the bottom line. So the battle is won through our faith and not our talents. Now, this final passage that we're going to look at is one of the strangest in the entire Bible. And if maybe if you've been reading through, maybe as I was reading it this morning, you're like, whoa, what's going on there? That's like really odd. We're going we're gonna to try and break that down. Now, there are lots of questions uh, that scholars debate about this passage, but the basics are really clear, and so we're just going to focus on the basics. Just remember where we are. God has been chosen to deliver Israel. 
We know that God has set him apart for this task. He's uniquely prepared him for this through a, a, a palace education under Pharaoh. Then he's shown him he couldn't do it on his own and, and showed him how much he needs the, the Lord. He needs to rely on him. Once he's taught him that lesson, then God has led him into the desert. He spent 40 years as a shepherd developing humility, developing in different ways of perseverance and patience that he'll need for the task. Finally, God's appeared to him in the burning bush and laid out the entire plan. So you would think, well, there's nothing left to do. He's just going to do it. Now, as he's heading from Midian to Egypt to carry out that plan, watch what it says in verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And you're like, what's going on there? How could that be? That's really strange, right? Now, first of all, notice that the Lord sought to put him to death. Now, if, if you can speak... The, the universe into existence with a word, you don't need to seek to do anything. You either, like, it's, it's like what Yoda said, do or do not, there is no try. Like with God, he's, he's not like he's trying to do something. Oh, I got stuck on it. I just couldn't figure out how. Like, no, no. If God wants to do something, he does it. So if it says he sought to do it, if Moses is still standing, then this is probably a drastic teaching opportunity, not an attempted murder. Okay, so we just get that out of, the, out of the way. Something unusual and drastic is taking place, but it's not like God tried to kill Moses and he got stuck along the way. Now, uh, as we're still trying to figure it all out, in verse 25, Zipporah takes a flint knife, cuts off her son's foreskin, and touches Moses' feet with it, and strange just got stranger, right? You're thinking, uh, what's, what's going on here? Now, if you're looking to get married, um, you know, finding a woman who's good with a blade and isn't afraid of a little bit of blood, maybe that's a good idea. Like, that's, that's probably not the main takeaway or moral of this story, but, uh, you know, that's a, that's a helpful, helpful lesson, a little bit of uh, 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 input along the way. But the point seems to be that Moses is heading into the biggest spiritual battle of his life and... He hasn't even bothered to circumcise his son. Now, we're not living in Old Testament times. We're, we're not living under the old, uh, old Covenant. So that doesn't mean much to you and me, perhaps. But this was foundational. The way that you described yourself being on side with God and in, in with his covenant people was through circumcision. And Moses hadn't bothered to deal with that. He was... He was about to take steps to the battle and the mission, but he hadn't dealt with his own obedience. And that's, that's a, a lesson for, for all of us. If, if we are children of God and we are going to, to, to do anything for God, he is more concerned about our heart he is more concerned about our character and our obedience than he is about anything, other, anything else that we might otherwise accomplish. Now, I expect Moses probably had a bunch of excuses. I'm sure he could point to reasons why he had never gotten around to circumcising Gershom. 
well, one of them, he was, he was living in Midian. You know, the Midianites don't really understand the whole circumcision just the, exactly the way that, that the Jews did. They, they did practice a form of circumcision, but, but uh, it, was, uh, it was different. And maybe Moses said, you know, there's cultural things going on. This is, it'd just be complicated. It's, uh, maybe I just don't bother. He may have pointed to the fact, well, I've got a Midianite wife and, and you know, I, I, maybe I should have married someone within the, the covenant people, but I didn't and that's kind of making this awkward and so I, maybe I'll just not deal with it. He also may have, you know, shepherding sheep, it's, you know, it's, it's busy work. You're, 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 you're just never a good time for it. He could have pointed to a number of... Uh, to him, you know, very reasonable sounding excuses why he never did it, but the fact is he didn't. And God meets him, confronts him with his sin, confronts him with the consequences of sin and says, we go no further unless you are willing to deal with that. And given all the preparation and all the talk about this mission, that, that may surprise you. Like we think... We got, we got all these slaves. We've got to set them free. Surely that's more important. God says, no. Your dealing with your obedience is, is not an optional thing. This, this has to go first. And, and so you and I need to kind of process all of this and then step back and look at how any of that applies to the battle that you're facing this morning. The battle that God calls each of us to. Your battle could be an area of temptation or spiritual dullness. Your battle could be maybe what your kids are facing right now. And it just feels so overwhelming. How do I, what do I bring to this? How do I, how do I come out of this alive? How do I come out of this feeling like I've seen a measure of the Lord's victory? Uh, it could be a spiritual battle for your marriage, your job, your ministry. Whatever it is, we're bringing that battle to the Lord and we're trying to deal with it deliberately, not, uh, not flippantly. First of all, we take comfort in how mercifully God dealt with Moses' doubts and fears. You don't have to have all of your doubts behind you dealt with before you move forward and take a step of faith. God is patient with our fears. He is gracious with our insecurities. And so, so don't put off obedience and following God just because you're feeling some, some fears about it. Take the step that God has set for you and trust that he will meet you as you do. Now, for those of you whose battle is in your family or your school or your workplace, it's probably particularly important for you to rem remember how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's actually a truth given to encourage you. In a mysterious way that we don't fully understand, the message is God is in complete control of all of the circumstances in your life, even when it seems like they're getting worse instead of getting better. That God, if God can, can harden Pharaoh's heart, he can soften his heart too. But if God is, has that kind of control over the most powerful person in the world at the time, then he has control over everything. But a holy God doesn't jealously protect his 
his children when uh, they aren't uh, uh, jealous for his holiness. He wants us to start with the obedience. He wants us to deal with those areas of sin that would otherwise stand between us and uh, the and representing a holy God, standing as his children, reflecting something of his glory. So bring your sin before him and turn from it. But know that when you do, there is grace that covers us. It's not like Moses was all of a sudden perfect. He just needed to be willing to deal with the sin. And as he did, he was... He got a little bit of blood on his feet, and that blood cleansed him. He was then able to stand holy before God and go into his holy calling. And we, we read that, and we recognize that just as that blood dripped on Moses' feet and made him holy for this battle that he faced, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross, it makes us holy as we respond to him in faith. We can stand holy because he cleanses us from all sin. Jesus Christ is the ultimate firstborn son of God. He's the true serpent crusher. He's the one who delivers his children from slavery and oppression. And he was one who leads us into the battle and ensures the final victory. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you, Father, for your patience and your mercy. Thank you for the tender way that you deal with our fears and insecurities. But we pray that you would take them away. Fill us with a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Help us, Father, to trust that you are the one who's in control when the battle gets worse and not better. Help us to look to your victory and trust in your love. Keep us from trusting in our own instincts and our own talents. We need your power, and that only comes to us through faith. We want you on our side, and that means walking in your ways. So give us grace, grace to take steps of obedience, and help us to look to you as we do to receive from you the strength that only you can give. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.